Welcome to I'll Be Dashed, a Woodhouse podcast. My name is Robin. And I'm Scott. We are a uh, father and daughter. This is our first podcast that we will be talking about the works of P.G. Woodhouse. And I'd like to just go a little bit into how we uh, decided to do this. Both of us are pretty active readers over the course of our life, but the last couple of years we started to not read quite as much. I know last year I only ended up reading about 10 books in total. And I think I read about seven or eight. (laughs) So this year, pretty much independently of each other, we decided to read much more uh, and we both uh, far exceeded what we initially thought that we were going to do. I I ended up reading all of the Agatha Christie novels. And then after that, in reading uh, the small collection of Sherlock Holmes, uh, I moved on to P.G. Woodhouse. P.G. Woodhouse has, I believe, at least according to Wikipedia, 71 novels and 24 short story collections as well well as a a variety of different writings and robin started a uh youtube for her book yeah i i started a, a booktube pretty much for just my different interests um which include jewish fiction as well as queer romances as well as classics and about the time that i told my dad that i had decided to do this Pretty much immediately, he was like, that's so funny. I was thinking about starting a podcast. And in the space of two hours, I had become a multimedia content creator, apparently. (laughs) And one of the reasons I decided on Woodhouse, besides, you know, enjoying the content, was like, as I said before, I read a lot of Agatha Christie. And there are many Agatha Christie podcasts. There is not one, at least that I found, P.G. Woodhouse podcast. And there's not even a lot of content on YouTube about him. So I thought, the two of us being novices as we are, if there's something that we should grab onto, it's something that nobody else seems to be doing, at least right now. So we are going to be reading and discussing P.G. Woodhouse, we don't have a set schedule yet, probably once every three weeks or so. Um, we don't have a particular order that we're going into, because if we were to go into it in chronological order, that would mean starting with some of his school stories, which I've read a few of them. They're not bad, but they're not quite up to the same standard as a lot of his later work. Um, So today we are starting with Something Fresh, uh, which is the first book in the Blanding's Castle series. And I will also point out that this is the first Woodhouse book that Robin has read. I, mainly this year, have read, I believe at this point in time, 48 Woodhouse books. So I have a little bit of experience with Woodhouse, and this is Robin's first book. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) um so pretty much what's it's going to serve as as a template for me to ask questions as someone who doesn't have a lot of experience with woodhouse i've read something fresh twice 
but that's that's it. I, I've not read anything Woodhouse up until this point. And Dad, who has read a lot more, even if he's not like an expert in Woodhouse, obviously has a... I might cut this part out. Experience? I might cut this part out because I want to say a dearth of knowledge. But is that the... Scarcity? Oh, is that the... Dearth means scarcity. Okay, that's why I say I might (laughs) cut this... My dad's a dumbass. (laughs) That's why I say I might cut this part out because I'm like, I think I have the wrong... I think you have to keep it in now. I think you have the wrong word. (laughs) Uh, We'll see. Um... Yeah, so my dad has a lot of experience. <laughs> I, I won't try to be fancy that much because uh, it usually backfires. Yeah, my dad has a lot of experience with Woodhouse, and so we thought it would serve as just a, a nice sort of foil to each other where, you know, <laughs> why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> I, I was oh, just paying okay. attention. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was, like, thinking I did the wrong word again. Um so where I can ask the questions that people who, who don't have as much experience with Woodhouse can ask and get that knowledge that way. Because I do have questions about Woodhouse. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Well, before we get into the book itself, uh, I will have to note that this book and possibly several other books have UK and US editions. Which I found out the hard way. Yeah. If you, for some reason, are looking for this book, if you want the UK edition, you need to not be in the US, apparently, (laughs) unless you want to get it on Audible, which you can do so. If you're going to Amazon, really, the only option seems to be the US edition, at least for uh, physical copies. And that is because Woodhouse is out of copyright. And so on Amazon, anyone can print Woodhouse, pretty much, which is how I ended up with a copy of what is technically something new, not something fresh. Yeah, which there it's the same novel, except there are uh, a few differences. Mm-hmm. Like uh, three of the characters in the novel are Americans in the U.S. edition. And one of the characters, George Emerson, who we will probably talk about, to uh, some extent about later in something fresh is a Hong Kong policeman. Whereas in something new, he's, I believe a New York lawyer. I don't know if he's a lawyer, but he works at a law firm, law firm. but he, he is also American. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, it, we're mainly going to be talking about the UK edition because both Robin and I did listen to this together yesterday Although we both had read it before. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the uh, future podcasts, uh, we will be reading separately. We will be trying to, as much as possible, stick to UK editions. But we will let you know if the one we're reading is the US. So at the beginning of the book, we have Ash Marson. Marson? Marson. Marson. Who is a crime writer uh a job that he's not particularly fond of and he does it mainly just to make money he meets a another writer under the same company joan valentine in their apartment complex mm-hmm. and she pretty much pushes him to get out of his comfort zone she gives him a kick in the butt uh, <laughs> yes and that is 
mainly what prompts the uh, circumstances of the novel. So we move on from Joan and Ash to uh, Freddie talking to uh, basically his bookie, our Jones. Freddie is engaged to the daughter of an American multimillionaire, and he is worried about a breach of promise case. Now, breach of promise is something that you're going to hear a lot about in these Woodhouse novels. It's something that I've never read about before, before I picked up Woodhouse, but guarantee that almost every novel will have it in some point. What a breach of promise is, is that if a man asks a woman to marry him, whether in writing or person, and then backs out of the engagement, she can sue him for breach of promise. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go the other way, no. but there's already enough <laughs> going against a woman in that time anyway. Yeah, like... <laughs> well, plus, women during that time just didn't propose. That wasn't what was done. Yes, so... That's going to be, as I said, a very common trait in a lot of Woodhouse novels. Now, Freddie uh, is concerned because his cousin, mm-hmm. I believe, yes. Chess lost a breach of promise case. And Freddie, in a moment of misguided order, lust, whatever you want to call it, has written to a, a choir girl and he believes that during writing those letters, including poetry, he may have proposed marriage. The choir girl happens to have been Joan Valentine. So he is concerned that the same thing that happened to his cousin could happen to him. So he talks to his bookie, R. Jones, to see if R. Jones can talk to Joan about getting the letters back. And he gives him 500 pounds. Mm-hmm. Freddie is in London, uh, along with his father, Lord Emsworth. Uh, Freddie has been basically uh, confined to Blanding's castle because he... How would you phrase it? He run a, he ran amok. Ran amok. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really went into detail besides, like, maybe some gambling, but, like, he, he ran amok around London for a while and got mm. into some trouble. Yeah. And as... Freddie is Lord Emperor's second son. He's considered a pretty much a wasted son because the first son gets... He's, he's just the spare. Yeah, essentially. And that's a good thing um, because Freddie's not much to speak of. <laughs> not that his older brother is too much either, but he doesn't appear in this novel. We'll yeah, talk I'm, about him in the future. I have no idea who his brother is, but Freddie is a lovable idiot. Freddie... Freddie is an idiot. I, I don't know that I would go, I would not go lovable as far as this novel. Oh, per- I don't know. I really enjoy okay. Freddie in this novel. <laughs> Maybe in just in contrast to other people. Yeah, um, fair. <laughs> okay. But, uh, so, R. Jones says, Ah, oh, yes, of course I'll do this for you because there's 500 pounds, which I think is the equivalent of $2,000 during that time frame. I think. So I, I yeah. have no idea what it's worth now but it's a lot of money it'd be a lot now <laughs> and and of course uh, r jones being the type of character that you would expect a bookie to be 
is looking to get as much of that money as he can. In the meanwhile, Freddie's fiance Aline is having lunch with her friend George Emerson. And who is a Hong Kong policeman. Who is a Hong Kong policeman in something fresh. <laughs> in something new he's worse at a law firm. But during this lunch, George Emerson won't stop proposing to Aline. And Aline keeps telling him that she's engaged. And that's pretty much the entire scene with those two. But that's important that you know. Yeah. George also already knows that <clears throat> she's engaged. He doesn't care. Even though he has, for the purpose of being close to her, you know, he's gotten close to Freddy. And Freddy has invited him to Blanding's Castle. Where everyone is going, I think, the next day or yeah. something. So... Now we get to Lord Emsworth, who is one of the characters who will appear in every Blanding's Castle novel. I believe the only character that appears in every novel. Lord Emsworth is scatterbrained? I was going to say a space case. Um, he's a very forgetful man. Um, he's nice, but he's not something you would rely with your wallet or any other possession anything a fork or a scarab hmm and it, and now we get to the main point of the book <laughs> a after uh, uh, a setting scene where uh in one of the clubs he is talking to a waiter which is where we find out that lord Emsworth is pretty scatterbrained as he casually slips a fork into his pocket without even noticing that he's doing so and, and the waiter informs of this that brings us to uh, his next scene which is with Mr. Peters who is uh, his son's future father-in-law Mr. Peters who has quite a problem with his indigestion has been told by his doctor that he needs to develop a hobby the doctor collects scarabs in Mr. Peters has decided that he's going to do so also. So he has quite the collection of scarabs. And he has decided to show them to Lord Emsworth. Even worse, he, in showing them to Lord Emsworth, puts one in Lord Emsworth's hand and then leaves the room. He leaves the room to go get a phone call, actually, yeah. from Freddie himself. Yeah. Uh, Lord Emsworth is polite, but he does not care about scarabs at all. And he lets his mind wander other things while he's holding the scarab, and then he doesn't know what he has in his hand, so he just puts it in his pocket. And eventually he leaves, and Mr. Peters doesn't notice until later that the scarab is missing. Now, because he is concerned about if he accuses Lord Emsworth of stealing, how that might affect uh, relations between his daughter and Freddie... He doesn't want to just go straight out and accuse him. So, what he does is put an advertisement in the papers for somebody to steal it back for him. <laughs> that brings us back to Ash, who on Joan's prompting has looked through the paper, saw this advertisement, goes to basically interview for the job and be the only person who meets the advertisement of a young man gets the job. Meanwhile, our Jones has gone to Joan 
and she has admitted that she's already burned the letters. Uh, Art Jones leaves, but while he's about to go downstairs, Eileen mm -hmm. comes upstairs. He goes into the darkness of the hallway so that he is able to listen to uh, Joan talk to Eileen. Uh, they were classmates together yeah. uh, previously. And Joan talks about her father... Uh, sorry. Eileen talks to Joan about her father yelling at her about the scare because mm -hmm. she just happened to be there. Mm -hmm. Joan decides that she's going to go to Blanding's castle acting as... The lady's maid. Acting as the lady's maid. So we have... All these people coming into Blanding's castle now. Uh, Joan is going there as a lady's maid using the name Miss Simpson. Yes. So she is going there as Miss Simpson. So we have everybody going there. Uh, Ash comes to Joan to talk about this job that he has, although he doesn't give all the details. But he admits that it's something he found in an advertisement. And Joan, being a very smart woman goes and finds the newspapers and she realizes that he is also going there now to take the scarab to take the scarab well whoever produces the scarab for mr peters gets a thousand pounds both of them are in dire need mm -hmm. of the money so ash is going joan is going she knows that ash is going for the reason he doesn't know that she's going for that reason so on the train, she acts pretty cold to him. Mm -hmm. At one point, tries to encourage him to go back home. Um, so, by what I like how she does it though by telling him about the etiquette of the house staff and and how like strict it is, and how the the etiquette among the staff mirrors the etiquette in like high society yeah. it's so, even more so even more so it's it's even more strict and so ash gets really freaked out he's like i can't possibly be yelled at by the butler and so she she almost succeeds <laughs> yes but they do end up getting back to the castle freddie sees joan recognizes her as joan but aline tells him that that's miss simpson so he believes her because Freddy's dumb. <laughs> but at least Robin, lovable. <laughs> <laughs> well, what else is he supposed to think? Why wouldn't it be an exact lookalike? <laughs> so Ash gets to Blanding's castle and meets Beach the butler, who uh, plays a fairly significant role in here, but nowhere near as much he does in later novels. Um, he also... Spoiler, changes a little bit over the course of the novel. But one thing I will mention in here um, is that the, the staff there is talked more about in this novel than any other novels. I kind of, that's one thing I'm a little bit disappointed about is that they don't really involve the staff very much in future novels except for Beach. And I, I really like the, you know, interplay between the different members of the staff in this one. Mm -hmm. So after Ash meets with Beach and Beach talks to Ash about his varied <laughs> physical complaints, including bad feet and the stomach lining. Mm -hmm. 
Which is something he has in common with Mr. Peters. Yes. Mr. Peters has a very bad stomach, and his indigestion is a major theme whenever he's around. It's actually uh, one of the plot points of the novel. Ash also meets Mr. Baxter, the efficient Baxter, who is Lord Emsworth's secretary. Baxter is a very suspicious sort. He has been given the scarab by Lord Emsworth to put in their museum, and Lord Emsworth has told Baxter and Freddy that it was given to him by Mr. Peters. And he believes that it was given to him by Mr. Peters. Mr. Baxter believes Mr. Peters sold it to Lord Emsworth and Lord Emsworth forgot. But technically, Lord Emsworth just stole it inadvertently. <laughs> and now, and he, he gave it to the efficient Baxter to display in the museum at Blanding's Castle. And he just put it on display, nothing around it, very easy to steal, and yet it takes almost two weeks. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing. Also, coming to the castle is George Emerson. Is George Emerson. Yes. Um, so, Joan and Ash try to steal the scarab, but do not succeed. Mr. Peters tries to go into the museum at one point and gets caught by... Baxter, mm -hmm. although Baxter doesn't know that he went in there to steal it, Baxter is immediately suspicious, and especially suspicious of Ash. So Baxter is keeping an eye on the scarab and on Ash. Uh, Joan also wants to steal it, but she's not under uh, Baxter's radar there, mm -hmm. on his radar, mainly because she's a woman, mm -hmm. which... And uh, women, women can't steal. Gender politics does play a, a part in this, which we will get into later in the, this podcast. But you have two people trying to steal the scarab. Three, technically, because at one point, R. Jones talks to Freddy and wants Freddy to steal it because R. Jones tells him that Joan didn't burn the letters and that she wants more money, even though Joan did not actually do this. So you have multiple people trying to steal it. Baxter staying up late at night to protect it. He catches Ash at one point coming downstairs, and Ash says that he is going to read to Mr. Peters to help mm -hmm. him sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Peters and Ash get into an argument because Mr. Peters is an ass. Yes, Mr. Peters is very rude. He is what I imagine, like, millionaires are like. Like, he expects to get his way because he has always gotten his way because he has money. Yeah. But also his indigestion has made him... Sure. ...more irritable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Ash, however, does not take it, and he threatens to quit. Um, what ends up happening is that Ash tells Mr. Peters is that he is going to put him basically through a personal training course because Ash is a physical fitness nut. I mean, that's true. That's very true. He's very into physical fitness, especially something called the Larson exercises, which what? apparently look ridiculous. I don't know if those actually exist. I, I did not look those up. Um, we probably should look those up, see if they exist. But, um, yeah, so he is essentially thinking that he's going to train Mr. Peter's 
out of his indigestion um, and into better health, which is fully possible. But he just doesn't take Mr. Peter's crap. Yeah. Yeah. So, also, meanwhile, George Emerson is still trying to get Eileen to marry him, even though she's engaged to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And Eileen is also on the same diet as her father for... Sympathy? Sympathy reasons, I guess. Um, it, I, I'm not really sure why, except that she's kind of a doormat. Yeah. Like, that, that's that's something that even, like, Joan says, is that, you know, Aline goes along with things, but she's also the type of person that, when she complains, no matter, like, how frivolous the complaint is, like, Joan has, has said that she's felt very maternal towards Aline before because she's such a doormat, pretty much. <laughs> All right. So, because Aline is on this diet... George decides a way to get into her good graces is to bring her food. So one night around two in the morning, he sneaks out to bring her food. At the same time, the ash is sneaking out to try to steal the scarab. And they run into each other in the dark, fighting each other Mm -hmm. with ash trying to choke out Emerson and Mm -hmm. Emerson punching ash and knocking over china which wakes up most of the household but especially baxter who comes downstairs mm-hmm. uh, and finds himself in the mess with them in, in the dark in the dark mm-hmm. and emerson and ash decide silently without consulting each other to both let go and to take off leaving baxter there with a piece of cold tongue which he believes is a body <laughs> And then not, not the smartest, <laughs> this uh, efficient Baxter, because like I get the like cold flesh bit, but like a tongue, even if it's like a cow's tongue, which is you know sizable, definitely not the same size as a corpse. Well, true, but and <laughs> and this is going to be those few cases where I'm going to take up for Baxter. It's like, well, it's the dark, it's the middle of the night. Sure. He feels this cold flesh. And there was just fighting right next to him. Sure. I, understandable. Well. Ish. Pardonable, I guess. <laughs> and it, of course, this wakes up the entire house and Lord Emsworth comes out shooting. With the pistol. Well, yes. Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't want people to think that you're like, yeah, he comes out, you know, guns ablazing like a, a the phrase. Like he actually comes out guns, guns ablazing with a pistol. <laughs> In the dark, and, and then and he, empties the gun, just and, shooting wildly in the dark, and then ask a question. Yeah, and then ask who's there. <laughs> um, it's one of those things where I'm like, oh Lord Emsworth, oh boy, <laughs> you'll get used to that phrase. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> um, so of course it ends up everybody thinks that Baxter is nuts. <laughs> Oh, can I can I jump in with uh, the something new scene? Oh, yes. Uh, this is a scene in something new, which I have not read <laughs> because I, I did the UK version, but Robin has read something new. Yeah, so jumping in on the whole everyone thinks Baxter is nuts train. Okay, so the, the following day, Baxter goes to the museum, sees that someone did take the scarab, and also that there's like red paint on the ground and there's a foot and there's a footprint. 
and it's the shape of like a woman's shoe. I'm assuming like a heel. And so Baxter's like, ah, oh, I must check the servant's shoes because for some reason he immediately thinks it's a servant. He he's a class snob. True, yeah. Um, so he goes and goes and looks at the servant's shoes. Ash happens to sort of be around, and he does. Baxter does find a woman's shoe that has like red paint on it, and it's Jones. He's like, oh, I have to take this to Lord Emsworth as proof. Um, and so he makes Ash go with him for some reason. I think Ash has to carry, like, the basket of shoes, um, which, which is a mistake on Baxter's part. So they go out to the gardens where Lord Emsworth is, and <laughs> Baxter gives the shoe to Lord Emsworth and is like, look, proof. But the shoe is is totally normal. It has no paint on it. It's completely black because Ash switched them. So instead of Baxter being like, oh no, what happened? He flies off the handle and he's like, I know there's a shoe with paint on it. And so he goes back to where he found all the shoes and he's looking in like nooks and crannies and cubbies and in, you know, whatever. And in the meantime, Ash tosses the paint shoe out the window (laughs) And so Lord Emsworth is following behind just lackadaisical and sees Baxter going completely nuts, tearing this room apart, trying to find this shoe that he says has paint on it. Um, And Ash is, meanwhile, just looking at Baxter like he's gone insane, which makes Lord Emsworth think that he's gone insane. And, like, the entire scene is very funny, and I'm really upset that you don't get it in something fresh because... It just makes the whole, like, Bastard's Gone Mad thing, like, it highlights that even more. Because I think uh, the colonel comes by and sees this as well. Like, there's a lot of people that see Baxter just fly off the handle about the shoe. Spoiler alert. <laughs> that scene, I believe, appears in a later novel. It does. At least according to Wikipedia. So I haven't read the other novel. <laughs> so uh, I have, although I've read so many Woodhouse novels this year that I can't place exactly which one it appears in. Mm-hmm. But so it, about that same time that it appears in something new and something fresh, um, Baxter discovers that the scarab is missing uh, and tells Lord Emsworth. Uh, and at the same time, Freddie trips over a cat on the stairs and has to be carried to his room by Ash. Ash and Joan, who have at this point become partners instead of rivals, mm-hmm. discover that R. Jones has told Freddy that he needs to steal the scarab. Um, so they realize that it's actually Freddy who has taken the scarab. Mm-hmm. And Ash goes up to talk to Freddy about it. Freddy is a big fan of Gridley Quayle, who is the detective in the uh, stories that Ash writes. So Ash uses uh, some of his skills. I'm doing air quotes there. (laughs) Ash leans on him a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Use some of the skills that he uses in his stories. And and Freddy, being such a big fan of the detective stories that uh, Ash writes and that Ash hates, gives a scarab away easily and just fawns over ash Mm -hmm. um meanwhile right after that actually 
a bunch of people, including Lord Emsworth, em, Lord Emsworth and Mr. Peters, come into the room and let Freddie know that George and Eileen have eloped. Mm-hmm. To be fair, Freddie's not too upset about this. Freddie's not too upset about that, which is good, but I will talk more about why that was so upsetting in a little bit. Ash brings the scarab to Mr. Peters, who writes him a check and also offers him a job as being basically his personal trainer. Mm-hmm. Ash asks Joan to marry him mm-hmm. and go to America with him. And she eventually agrees after... I mean, she she was wanting that, but she was just sort of like putting up a... She even says it's like a token resistance of like... I need you to know that, you know, that I need to know that you would consider that we, we haven't known each other that long and, and all this sort of stuff. But, but since you say that you're going to, that you love me and that you're going to love me, then yes, I will marry you. Like, I mean, it kind of comes across as her saying, if you can't take me at my worst, you can't have me at my best kind of thing. But not necessarily in a bad way that yeah. almost always is on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's... That's pretty much it, that's, right? Yes, that's it. They they kiss. And so that's basically what happened in the novel. Now we're going to talk about some of different thoughts that we had about. I, I want to, because I know you have your Emerson thing <laughs> that we'll be getting into. But I want to kind of talk about uh, Joan and Ash. Because mm-hmm. Joan and Ash is probably for Woodhouse. And Woodhouse started publishing novels, I believe, in 1902. Until 1975, thereabout. So he's writing a lot of his novels from an early 20th century perspective. So you're going to see in a lot of these novels, although for the time he may come across as progressive, it won't seem quite as progressive as current readers might expect. But this is probably the most equal-footed relationship that I've seen in Woodhouse novels. With Ash and Joan. With Ash and Joan. Mm -hmm. Joan can give as well as Ash, if not more so. Yeah, I think Joan is is often shown to sort of like outwit Ash um, in most of their scenes. Yeah. And and Joan is also a, a big defendant of, you know, equality with with women you know she makes a point of like when they become partners to steal the scarab of like why should i you know sit in my room waiting while you do all the hard work and then get half of the reward when i haven't done anything Um, she's an a late 20th century feminist in an early 20th century novel and it doesn't come across as you may expect in a novel of that time as a bad thing Mm -hmm. so i i it's like one of those things where, like, a YouTube video, do you think this relationship will last? That one seems like one that may go a while, if not the distance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the other hand, I shall not let you talk about Emerson. Okay, so let me talk about Emerson. My thing with Emerson is that, and Dad has a sort of caveat to what I'm about to say, but Emerson strikes me as, like, a nice guy TM where he's he's that friend who's like, oh, we'd be so great together. I treat you so right. I treat you way better than your current partner, blah, 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 blah. And then when 
when they get rejected, Emerson is just, he just keeps going. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't do the nice guy thing where he turns around and, like, calls Aline, you know, names and stuff. But he just keeps going and he keeps belittling her and, and implying that he knows what's best for her and and he can take care of her and, and her and Freddie aren't even really in love, which is true, but neither is Eileen in love with George until and this this is why it was so frustrating. Because Woodhouse spends most of the novel commenting on how like annoying Emerson is you know he calls Emerson like a superman which is I'm assuming the early 1900s equivalent of a nice guy um well if you go by Nietzsche (laughs) no moving on (laughs) um but you know he he spends most of the book doing that sort of like ragging on Emerson which I really enjoyed but then Emerson gets the girl like that's that sucked like that's just like Oh, yeah, if you just, you know, stay persistent, she'll fall in love with you and you'll get everything you ever want. Like, no, I want to kick him off a train. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that was so upsetting to read. And my boy Freddy did not deserve that, even though he couldn't have cared less. Now, my caveat to this is Emerson wasn't really a nice guy quote-unquote nice at all. The only time he ever did anything nice was when he tried to bring the food, and of course he didn't accomplish that. Mm-hmm. Um, he was pretty much a dick all throughout. I mean, and also, I mean... But, like, yes, you, you I, I agree with that he was a dick, but, like, in the way that those guys now are, like, Oh, I have I have so much money and I can provide for you so well and you'd be so happy with me and, and all that sort of stuff. Like like it was like that. Well, I mean of course I'm a guy, so I can't really tell you, no, no, you don't know what nice guys are <laughs> because you have more experience. Yes, with father, nice- <laughs> tell me more about nice guys. But um what I argue against that, and all we're arguing about is the different ways in which we think Emerson sucks. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not under any like illusion that my dad <laughs> liked Emerson. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is like he doesn't pretend that he necessarily cares about what she wants. Mm-hmm. He's talking about like you know when I come home, you make f- me feel better mm-hmm. and comfort me, and it's like, I mean. If this was a modern relationship, you know this relationship would not last mm-hmm. a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Back then, it may have lasted, but it would be miserable. Yeah, poor Aline. Even though she was stupid, but that that was that was my piece on Emerson. I don't want to devote any more energy to him. I'm hoping because when I first brought up my hatred of Emerson, Dad didn't remember him as a character. I'm hoping he doesn't show up again. Yeah, I, I first read this book uh, probably four or five months ago, and I like I've said, I've, I've read like 40 other uh, Woodhouse books between now and then, so, you know, I remembered a lot of things about it, but, like, I had completely excised Emerson from my mind. And as far as I know, I don't believe Emerson ever appears again in any... Okay. future works now some of the other characters mm-hmm. will obviously mm-hmm. um including 
Baxter, mm-hmm. which uh, generally when we're going to do this podcast, we're not going to talk about the books before we do the podcast. But because this was the first one and because we also needed to listen to it together because we discovered that Robin was reading uh, the U.S. version and I was reading the U.K. version, we wanted to kind of sync up a little bit. We were talking yesterday and I believe I mentioned that like Baxter is not in the wrong at all. He's just doing his job. He's doing his job. He's doing what he should do. But man, do I still enjoy it when he gets his. Um, there's, there's just something about him that you like to see him fall on his face. Well, I think honestly, because we did talk about it yesterday and I've been thinking about it. I think it's because every time he's referred to in the book, he's referred to as the efficient Baxter. It's not just Baxter. It's the efficient Baxter. That is his title. That's every time his name is said. And so I think there's something about it that, like, you want to see this person who, like, his main defining trait is his efficiency. You want to see him land on his face. Yeah. And And you do at one point in the book. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, the book also mentions that he sees the the castle pretty much as his own, Mm. the museum as his own. um, Because, which you see a little bit in here, Lord Emsworth, besides being forgetting type of person, He's not really overly sociable person. Honestly, and this comes out in later novels, if it wasn't for his sisters, he would just happily be putting around his garden or spoiler, spending time with his pig, which is the main character in future novels. Yeah, you you can't see my face, but I just gave my dad a blank look. But I'm assuming a pig shows up in the future. Yes, the Empress of Blandings uh, is... I believe it what changes the Blandings Castles books from good to great. Okay. Not just there being a pig itself, but with the pig. Yeah, it's not <laughs> My like, dad really likes pigs. <laughs> I mean, the pig made it. Um, yeah, so Emsworth is easily controlled. And, you know, Baxter takes advantage of that. Kind of like... For people who have read any of the Jeeves and Worcester books, Worcester can be taken advantage of. So can Emsworth. So you kind of, depending on how you feel about the character, you kind of feel empathy for him. So, I mean, I. So as the person who who's not read any other Woodhouse novels, like I will say, I enjoyed this book, which is probably the reason we started the podcast. Because if I didn't enjoy it, we wouldn't be doing this. Because that'd be really, like, hard. <laughs> well, I don't know. That'd be a little bit interesting for us to do a podcast about one person really likes a book and the other person just hates them. I don't want to do this podcast. Why are you making me do this, Dad? Why do you hate me? Yeah, I was like, that, that seems like it will veer into torture, char- <laughs> uh, uh, torture territory. Um, so See I- a family collapse as they <laughs> podcast together. <laughs> So I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed most of the characters. Emerson is obviously an exception. Um, but You want another spoiler alert? What? There, there will be worse characters. Wow. Okay. In the Blanding's Castle novels, too. All right. I'm thinking of one specific person, but we won't get to that one for a while. Okay, great. Um, 
But I really liked uh, Lord Emsworth and Freddy. Like, they're both absent-minded fools. Um, but it was just really enjoyable to read. Like, it was, it was really funny. And I liked how all the other characters around them operated, knowing that they were both so, like, absent-minded and dumb. Uh, in yeah, Freddy's case. I would actually say Freddy's more dumb than absent-minded. Yeah. And nobody has a case of absent-mindedness quite like Emsworth. So, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I wouldn't yeah. put him and Freddy, like, in the same <laughs> sentence when you're talking about absent-mindedness. I, I would agree with that. I think Freddy is is a character where you, you read about what he's doing, and at the end of every scene, you're just like, oh, honey... Like that's he's a he's an oh honey character, and I have a soft spot for those, just because I think I'm often an oh honey character. Well, he's like a himbo just without any good looks. Yeah, I mean, do they do they describe physical attributes like at all? Because that's something I I noticed or at least didn't notice is that the, none of them were really described. They, <laughs> they were not really described in this novel. Okay. Um, like in future novels, they do get described more like for one thing i always kind of expected lord emsworth to be a little pudgy pudgy yeah he's not he's oh. skinny oh okay but but you don't find that out to mm-hmm. until future novels it's just i don't know the absent-minded mm-hmm. old uh, well and plus you know he i think even in this book it talks about him like you know putting about and stuff and i don't know i, I think if i'm picturing someone like putting around it's a pudgy guy Maybe that's a little, like, stereotypical. Yeah, I mean, it is. Maybe but that's that, not the best thing to admit. We, we, that's, we both did that. And, yeah. and I, also, I don't believe we mentioned this, or I forgot, but he, he is an earl. Oh, okay, yeah. 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 So, I, I forget how we refer to him, but he is mm-hmm. the Earl of Emsworth. His name is actually... Clarence. Clarence Threepgood. Threepwood. Threepwood. That's yeah. correct. Clarence yes. Threepwood. Yeah, because his son is the Honorable... Freddy Threepwood. Yeah, and it, sadly, I have to admit that even though I knew it was Freddy Threepwood, mm-hmm. I didn't <laughs> you, you put didn't, together that Threepwood was Clarence's you, last name. You didn't figure out no, Threepwood his name was, is just Earl of Emsworth. <laughs> you didn't figure out Threepwood was a surname? <laughs> no, nope, it's Earl of Emsworth. <laughs> What's your name? Earl of Emsworth. <laughs> yes, his first name's Earl. Yep. <laughs> Could be. Could be. That'd be uh, <laughs> convenient, I guess. So are there any other characters we need to talk about? Well, a- as I talked to you about earlier, ants play a large part in Woodhouse novels. There is an ant in this novel, but she is only mentioned in, I believe it's Anne? Yeah. It's Anne. She, I believe she appears in future Blendings Castles novels, but she's definitely not the Emsworth sister that appears the most. That would be Constance. Constance is a atypical Woodhouse aunt, which I won't go into okay. too much because <laughs> you haven't read that novel yet. Yeah. And as I said, Beach plays more in future novels. The other staff members will be mentioned in future novels, but I don't think, except for Beach, that any of them really play much of a part at all. Definitely not more than they did in this novel. Mm-hmm. This was the main Blanding's Castle novel for, or the Blanding's Castle staff. Mm-hmm. 
trying to think is it any other characters that we need to talk about now you said you had some questions yeah i don't remember them though <laughs> <laughs> i'm just i'm flipping through my book looking at like the things i made notes on a lot of it was on the dialogue and so i don't this isn't really like a question but the dialogue i appreciated it, it was very punchy and it, it bounced uh it bounced between the characters really well like especially between ash and joan which is why i sort of agree with your opinion that like it's a relationship that would last a, a good amount of time if not you know forever just because the their dialogue was so great like there's even i just saw it uh, a time when joan was commenting on how you know she deserved to be put in dangerous situations just as much as a man and she like she makes a comment comparing him to i think her cat or something and she sort of loses the thread at some point and she's like oh that could have been done better and ash is like yeah it lacked a little bit of a punch and then they just like go back into it and i was yeah. like i i really enjoy the way that he writes dialogue especially because i have a lot of pet peeves about other people writing dialogue <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, as far as interplay with dialogue, he, he's very good at that, especially he'll often like have people talking over each other at cross purposes uh, for comic effect. Um, oh, sorry. I just I just thought and we didn't mention it. There is a scene um, among the staff, like the first night where Freddie's valet, they in the audiobook, they say valet. I can't do that. Valid, yeah. I can't do that. At, at this point in time, after listening to so many audiobooks, valet sounds weird to me. I, okay, so... That's how I used to say it before, but now it sounds weird. Okay, so Freddie's valet um, recognizes Joan, or at least recognizes that she looks very similar to a chorus girl that Freddie used to love. Yes. And Joan sort of freezes, and Ash is like down the table, sees this, I think figures it out, and he's like, oh, I need to create a distraction, so I'm going to imitate two cats in the alley fighting. Like, out of nowhere, yeah. draws all well, the attention. out of nowhere. Not- it's something that a friend of his taught before, <laughs> that he just happens to decide that this is the thing that I need to drag attention away from Joan. And it works. It works. Although Understandably. It does make, it does make Beach suspicious. Yeah, Um. so I... Just those sorts of things, like the dialogue and also just, like, the random hijinks that uh, Woodhouse throws in, like, make it, like, obviously I know he's a comedic writer, but I, I just really appreciated the timing and the, the thought process of Ash, because we do get to see his thought process before he imitates the cats. And so it's really hard to argue, especially because he gets results, but it's also a thing where you're just, like, reading it and you're like, what? Why? Why? <laughs> well, and I, I think that's uh, kind of the thing that that works with Woodhouse is that it's comical, but he does, it's not, his writing isn't comical. Comical things mm-hmm. happen, mm-hmm. but he does it so dryly mm-hmm. that... Yeah, that's what I appreciate. He's very, he's very British about it. <laughs> the, it, it it's a dry british humor which i really like and so i i do yeah i agree with you i like that it's it's so dry but he's writing about comedic things and the dryness just adds to that yeah i mean i gotta say and we we talked about it when we were going over basically the synopsis of the story but one of my favorite scenes is 
when Ash is sneaking down to try to skill Scarab and Emerson is trying to sneak food and then Baxter comes in there and people are trying to strangle each other and punch each other and Baxter's trying to catch people doing whatever. And then, I didn't mention it before, but like Emerson and Ash leave and then Emsworth shoots and then somebody says, turn on the lights. And the person who turns on the lights is Ash because he's kind of snuck around and he's just giving Baxter a look like, good God, man, what are you doing? <laughs> and it it's just awesome that like Baxter who does nothing wrong and I'm so happy what <laughs> happens to him does this make us mean people like I, I, it, it's I, just a poor man doing his job I, I, and I understand that <laughs> but I have the spoiler alert of like eh. <laughs> karma I guess alright fair um, also another sort of like dry British humor moment in that particular scene is that when Emsworth is, is going off and, and emptying his pistol in the dark, he shoots like a pic- a painting of his grandmother who apparently is very ugly but painted to resemble like the, the birth of Venus pretty much but like tastefully covered. And so the painting is ruined and there's just a comment about how Lord Emsworth had unintentionally improved the 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 parlor or hallway or whatever where the painting was by destroying that painting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and it, it's, it's, it's like the subtle humor works so much more mm. than, you know, like joke, 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 joke. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not necessary for that to be the case. It's just these little, little hints of, of comedy, even not even really jokes. Now, uh, oh, what was I going to talk about? Oh, wait, talking about the gender politics of it like i was talking before like you know modern feminists in earlier time but also ash kind of stands out for he he has the point of view that you would expect from early 20th century man like well a woman can't do this Mm -hmm. i have to do this i'm the man Mm -hmm. and when he thinks that she did steal the scarab when it was actually Mm freddie um he's upset But by the time he gets to Joan, he's kind of talked himself into being more reasonable Mm -hmm. about it. And that kind of stands out to me in the novel because not always, well, you kind of contrast that with Emerson, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So Emerson, I won't say Emerson is like the typical Mm -hmm. Woodhouse character, but some of his feelings are are more prevalent throughout Woodhouse novels than those of Ash. Yeah, and like and that that makes sense. Like I I'm someone who especially when reading novels or works that were written, you know, I'll say before 1950, like I really try not to let my my modern lens impact my enjoyment of it. And so it's not necessarily that Emerson has these like sexist ideas, but it's just that he was such a words i can't say (laughs) he was such a butt you know he was a huge butt about it and he just would not shut up and and that's mainly why it's not that he you know wanted uh aline to take care of him or or anything like that or he thought that that was like a woman's job and and he He deserved that pushy yeah it it was that he was pushy it wasn't that he will you marry me now will you marry me now yeah will you marry me now yeah and so like 
I'm not gonna say, like, I have no issue with, like, sexist attitudes in written works. I, I do, but obviously I can read something and recognize that, like, this was the mentality of the time. Yeah. And so I, I'm not going to hold that against Woodhouse. No, I, and I don't think it, it, it's Woodhouse necessarily. It, it's Emerson. Emerson mm-hmm. does kind of stand out. There are other characters in his novels that are about that same way, but sure. it, I wouldn't say it's the main mm-hmm. approach. I, I, I will. You were talking about you're not going to look at it through modern and i was just thinking of the novel i'm listening to right now they there was just a blackface scene so to be fair i believe that's the only Mm -hmm. and i could be wrong but the only moment of racial stereotyping Mm -hmm. that i've seen so far in woodhouse Mm -hmm. which contrasts with my experience with agatha christie last year where (laughs) there's a lot of racial stuff and Going from Agatha Christie to Woodhouse is kind of a little bit breath of fresh air um, because Agatha Christie apparently hates adopted children, is okay with first cousins hooking up, got, has a thing for very young women and very old men. Well, and, weren't there parts also where she was anti-Semitic? I think you were telling me about... Like the, a, just a little bit, the, like there a, were, well, sprinklings. Anti-Semitic, uh, racist. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, I'm not saying it's not a Woodhouse. I mean, it mm-hmm. does there happen there. But, I mean, generally, it's a little bit more palatable to the uh, mm-hmm. modern reader. I'm trying to think. Uh, there were... Oh, you know, those were the things that you got in Agatha Christie. In here, you got the man, and and we fight. I thought there wasn't going to be an appearance, but the man loves his word austere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dad, when we first talked about, you know, making this podcast, he had a couple of things he wanted to, like, there are a couple of things that pop up throughout various works of Woodhouse that he wanted to highlight, and one of them was the use of the word austere. Yeah. Which, which is only once in something o- fresh. Only once in something fresh. But since I've started noticing it, I have not found any work yet that does not include the word. Which is not a bad word, but it's not used commonly nowadays. So it yeah, sticks it's, out. It's faded out of the lexicon. Yeah. And so because of that, can you explain what austere means? It basically means severe. Oh, okay. So if if I looked at you austerely, I'm just like, my dad's giving me like a constipated look. <laughs> it's which I very think is, severe constipation. I think it's supposed to be a severe glare, but just look constipated. <laughs> but there's also, as I've already mentioned, the, the there's a breach of promise. Compromise. The breach of promise. No, there's no compromise. <laughs> um, there's the breach of promise. Um, not so much in this novel, but I mean, there's two no. two mentions of it. Yeah, uh, well, there is that, but I was saying not so much in this novel, but in a lot of the novels, there are people who are, I'm going to quote-unquote friends, who honestly are dicks to the main character. doesn't really happen that much because the, there's not really a lot of friendships. Well, I mean, I, mean, I would say, like, R. Jones. But... He, like, yeah, he's the bookie, but he Freddie thinks that they're friends. Yes, but but that stands out because it's not an actual friendship. Mm-hmm. It's not where these people say they're friends. Sure. 
it's where Freddy thinks it's his friend and the other guy is like, hey, I'm going to take advantage of this schlub. Yeah. Whereas in other novels, there's like, you're my friend and I'm going to mistreat you and take advantage of you and just be prepared. It happens a lot. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> we call those G's and Wooster novels. <laughs> and I'm sure there is a good cop in a Woodhouse novel. I cannot think of that cop just yet. I can think of several bad ones. Well, not bad ones, but who are, well... Not I'm, great? Yeah, I'm using this word a lot for a, a podcast about Woodhouse, but who are dicks. <laughs> so we've just decided that we're allowed to say dicks, but we're not allowed to say any other swear word. Well, I don't know that we decided... <laughs> We didn't decide. We, we didn't, didn't talk about it. We really should have. Uh, I guess um, we should have. I think for now we'll stick with Dick as the Dick level. being as the level that we can go. Okay. <laughs> if we end up using the F words in later podcasts, you'll know that we decided to just... Just throw that out the window. <laughs> <laughs> throw the dicks out the window. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, did you have any, like, <laughs> this could sound weird, I guess. Do you have any questions for me about, like, my... Thought process, first impression, things. I don't know. Well, let's see. Well, it kind of talked about your feelings about the characters, and you mentioned, like, the the modern take on a book mm-hmm. that was basically written, well, I believe 107 years ago now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was our impressions of something fresh. Slash something new. Something new. Next time, which we believe will appear about three weeks after this, is going to be My Man Jeeves, I believe, which is the first short story collection about Jeeves and Worcester. There is a one short story, Extricating Gussie, which is not in that short story collection, which is the actual first Jeeves story, which we will read at some point in the future with the collection that it's in, which I believe is something left foot in other stories. But... This will be, I believe, my man Jeeves' collection, about eight stories where we get to know Jeeves and Worcester. Uh, And this one is short stories. Short stories. Okay. The reason I'm asking is because when Dad had told me about, you know, the different books and everything, he mentioned that, like, Woodhouse has written novels, he's also written short stories, he's also written all these other things. And so when I started reading Something Fresh, I got confused and I thought that Something Fresh was a collection of short stories. And if you actually go to my YouTube channel, which I will plug at the end, like, you'll see me talking about it, and I say that it's a collection of short stories with, uh, that are interlinked because of the characters, and then I correct myself later and say, like, no, it's just a novel. Yeah. It's a straight-up novel. Um. (laughs) All the Blandon Castle (laughs) books are novels. There are short stories, but they appear as part of a larger, Mm. uh, story collection, and usually only one or two Blandon Castle Mm -hmm. stories in that collection. Okay. The Jeeves ones uh i believe the first three books are short story collections it could be two but i believe it's three and then pretty much after that it's novels okay now i talked at the beginning i believe about the order that we're going to do it in we're doing something fresh now we're going to be doing my man jeeves i believe after that it's going to be hot water and we're going to be going through uh, the series and the standalones. The series we're going to be doing in order, not necessarily one right after another in the podcast, but 
the next Blanding's Castle one we do will be, I can't remember the title, but it's with Smith in it. So we'll do book two of Blanding's, book three of Blanding's as we go along. Um, we'll do all the Smith ones in order, which we'll, I'll have to arrange that because one of the Smith novels is also one of the Blanding's novels. So, which Robin's looking like, I don't understand because... I don't. She she doesn't know all the books. <laughs> there's, there's, so there's the Worcester novels or the Worcester books, the Blanding's Castle books. There's also the Smith books, which there are four of those. Mm-hmm. There's Monty Bonkins, which is also is part of the Blandy's Castle, plus he has two other books. There's uh, Mr. Moliner, and there are a few others I can't think of the name of, because a lot of them are ones I haven't read yet. Like I said, I've read almost 50 books, and there are some series I haven't even read yet. So So we're going to be doing this for a while. Yeah. I, I think Dad estimated like three and a half years. Yeah, if 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 we do it every three three weeks, that's mm-hmm. almost that's seventeen eighteen books a year, depending on when we do it. So, mm-hmm. no, it's going to be more than that. It's okay. going to be <laughs> it's going to be like five years. Woo! I mean, I'm not saying that we're going to do it every single time at three weeks, but we also have other commitments. So I don't mm-hmm. want to say, yeah, we're going to do this every week because that's impossible. Yeah, that, yeah, I could not do that. <laughs> so I run a YouTube channel. I also have a, an Instagram that is all book related and it's pretty much like my reviews and stuff about the books that I read on my YouTube channel. It's very, they work together really well. <laughs> um, so both of which you can find at, at a Hobbit's reading list and follow me, subscribe to me, you know, leave me comments. You'll get a preview of what I think of the Woodhouse novels because those are included in my weekly reading vlogs. So, yeah, hit me up. If you want to hear about politics for me, don't. You shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do it. Just stay away from Twitter entirely. Unless you are seeing advertisement for this podcast. In that case, yes, spend all your time on Twitter. Yeah, who knows? We might we might make media, social media for the podcast, maybe. We haven't talked about that. Yeah, we, we just kind of want to see who's actually <laughs> interested in Woodhouse and the only current Woodhouse podcast on the planet. Is this one? Yay! So, until next time, I'm Scott. I'm Robin. Dash it all. I'll be dashed. What ho. <laughs> what ho. <Whoa. laughs>